we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 again for the hundredth time. We're in the Beatitudes, and we're going to actually just be in verse 9 tonight, which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, Father. Pray you give us ears and eyes to see and hear what you're trying to tell us, Lord. Just pray for the message, God, and that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're almost done. We got like, I think, two more to go. We'll finish next week on the Beatitudes, and we'll just continue on from there. But tonight, we're in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5. Now, when I think about the word peace, uh, I think about packing up my spearfishing gear in the morning and hopping on someone's boat. So if you guys have a boat, man, I would love to hop on your boat so we can go fishing. Um, It's really there where I know for the next maybe four to five hours, my friends and I will do what we love to do, which is catch fish. Um, I don't have my phone at the time, so it's peaceful. It's quiet, it's relaxing, and there's something about launching out at sunset that you would just have to kind of see for yourself. So, hey, maybe we'll go one day if you guys are down, right? I know a couple people want to go already, but yeah, we have to go. We just got to do it. So, huh? Yeah. Now, if you ask my wife how she feels, because she's back at home, if you ask her how she feels every time I go out, she would tell you something different, a different story. Usually, if it's past the two-hour mark, she's a little worried about me. Uh, Well, when it hits about four hours, for some reason, she's calling Keone. Like, it's, it's embarrassing. Like, every time I get out of the water, I have phone calls, I have text messages, but, hey, are you okay, is everything? Or I think one time she told me, uh, it's, never mind. It's gotten, a lot, it's gotten a lot better, a lot better. Now, for my wife, her idea of peace or serenity uh, is a quiet afternoon with her yarn and needle, crocheting, watching the TV. That's what she does. She loves to crochet. Okay, yeah. We got one person who crochets? Uh, she loves to, cro- oh, everybody crochets, so she loves to crochet, um, and she loves to watch TV, and that's kind of her downtime, that's what she loves to do, to kind of blow off some steam. Now, uh, the way the world defines peace uh, is the absence of conflict, so if you guys can, right, so the absence of any type of conflict. Now, we know that's not true, uh, because I've had a lot of conflicting times out in the water, lots of them, right? One time we went out on the east side, and the motor gave out on us. We were drifting for about two and a half hours. We could have rowed, but we were so far offshore that we just ended up drifting, just waited for the spark plug uh, to dry. So I didn't know I was going to be stuck out there, right? Suddenly this tranquility, this peaceful moment was gone like this, right? Sun was beautiful when it was peaking, but now it's blazing, right? It's hot. We don't even got fish on the boat. It was one of those days. Now, This is how I can define peace, and this is how you guys can define peace. Now, the peace that Jesus talks about has much more depth than a nice trip out at sea or the absence of conflict. In fact, this word peace is best described with the Hebrew word shalom. Can you guys say that? Shalom. Shalom. Shaloha. This word uh, means completeness. It means wholeness or even reconciliation with people. To put it simply, this peace actually means everything in its rightful order. That's what this piece means. 
It's really best described how God designed life to originally be. Because as we know, life is super complex. Very complex with a lot of different parts moving to it. And so the shalom that the Bible talks about is taking all these moving parts and seeing them move in rhythm with each other. You feel me? You tracking with me? Pastor Steve on Sunday was talking about that God is a God of order. See, God ordered life to be a certain way for you and I to be in rhythm and in harmony. And when it's outside of this order, life can be super disorienting and chaotic. Anybody seen me play drums? No, seriously, anybody? Yet you don't want to see me play drums. Your head would probably explode. If I'm up here and the band is playing, you would be upset. It's kind of one of those things. You'd probably just come for the message. And so when music is playing, you don't even need to be a musician. You and I both know when something doesn't seem right. Right? Like you're sitting there, music is playing. If someone strums a chord off or something is, you can just, it's that person. Something's off. And so when the Bible talks about shalom, it talks about all things in its rightful order and its rightful place. Everybody has their part, and when everybody is playing their part rightly, just like in a band, there's a beautiful sound that comes from it. Would you all agree? Okay. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, God has been trying to work with us by trying to restore the shalom back to humanity. And it is oftentimes deal, uh, dealt with other people. In Exodus, it talks about this. If your cow decided to walk over to your neighbor's farm and graze over it, then eat his crops, the, the right thing to do was to go to your neighbor and make restitution. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. Right? That'd be the right thing to do. The book of Proverbs shows us how to heal and reconcile broken relationships. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. You look at Matthew chapter 18, talk about forgiveness and how we deal with that in the church. So this is after some people have, uh, this is after people have reconciled, but it says, but dwelling on it separates close friends. So what this means is, so we do our best to not hold grudges, but choose to resolve any issues in order to have the peace in our relationships. It's the shalom. Now, shalom isn't just the absence of conflict. See, we're not called to just avoid conflict and go our separate ways. For example, if two rival nations were at war with each other, it doesn't mean that they just stop fighting, right? They just end it, peace, and a treaty. No, but now they learn to live and work together for each other's benefits. See, shalom is piecing together what is broken and making everything whole again. It's a togetherness. It's a completeness. It's a soundness, like a band playing rightly together. It's a rhythmic harmony all throughout the creative order. Okay? Cool? Tracking with me? Okay. Now, in the beginning of your Bibles, this, shal this shalom was seen in Genesis. Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God. Like, could you imagine that? No problems, no conflict, 
no suffering, no pain, no death. When God created everything, he said it was good. And when he created us, he said it was very good. And it lasted for about two pages. (laughs) And God only gave them one command. Do not eat from the tree. One command. And they broke it. Before this, everything was in its rightful order. Man and woman in relation with God, man and woman in relation with each other. And as soon as sin entered the world, this shalom or rhythmic harmony snapped. That's what happened. Like if I hopped on the drums type of thing. When Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator, it was the beginning of that peace and unity that God had woven into creation. This started to unravel. See, all of God's creative order was broken between God and man, between man and man, between woman and woman, and even the earth itself. Romans 8 says all of creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. See, what this means is that like the world that you and I see today is not how it used to be. Like when we really look around us, things are definitely broken. See, when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, he called it good. When he created man and woman, he called it very good. But if you look around this world, it's far from good. When Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity into the heart of men, it means that you and I know deep down this cannot be it. Like there's just something in us every time we go through our days or whatever we may be doing, there's a question in us that's saying this cannot be it. When I see, us, when I see someone that I love get sick or someone passes away, it really plucks a weird cord in my soul. All around us today, you hear about countries warring against countries. We hear about different groups being marginalized. This is the result of the fall. Everything has become broken, even ourselves, even how we view ourselves. Like now we don't even know who we are. Like this is what I've been hearing. Like we don't even know who we are. And that's happening more than ever today. Like this is, I don't need God I don't need you. Let me do what I think is right. And if you look at how the world tries to find the answer, trying to find shalom, the world wants peace. But the way they try to find it, it's bananas. Right? It's about equality. Yes, I get that. It's about human rights. I get that too. But when someone says, I'm not who I'm supposed to be, the world's counsel is, you have the right to be whatever you want. Like, that's where we come. You know you, you know you best so you can identify as whoever you think you want to be. This is what I mean when the harmony in God's creative order snapped. Listen to me. God doesn't make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. You didn't create you. God created you. Like, I've been seeing more of this than ever. Like, and it breaks my heart. People questioning their gender, people questioning these things. Like, you didn't create you. 
God created you. You don't have to question what you are. He tells us who we are. Psalms 139 says this, you created me in my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is saying that God made you and I. Your inmost beings, I know some uh, translations say your unformed substance is talking about your personality and how God uniquely wired you to be you. Like he personally designed you to be exactly who you are, not who you think you are. God does not make mistakes. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So the world wants peace. The world wants justice to be able to coexist together without conflict, and we want everyone to be valued. But the problem is the world wants the kingdom. They just don't want the king. See, the world wants the kingdom. They just don't want the king. This is, I want shalom, I want togetherness, I want wholeness, but I need to be the one making my own decisions. Like, that has never worked. You and I were never meant to be God. God was meant to be God. See, you and I were created by him. This is the creative order, and it's broken. It's swapped. Remember I said this sin is basically saying, I make a better God than God does. My ways are higher. My judgments are better. And if you look all around us, that's where we're at today. Why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden and command them not to eat it? Because God's way has always been better. You cannot have a kingdom without the king. So this word peace in the Hebrew is shalom. But it is not used in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament writers wrote in Greek, so, and the Greek word for peace is erene. I think I said it right. Erene. Both words are similar in meaning, but what this peace was pointing to wasn't just our relationship with each other. See, it wasn't just how we conducted ourselves around each other. It had even a broader vision in the New Testament. This word was used to point and describe our standing with God today. See, before you and I can establish any type of peace around us, we need to have the peace of God with us and in us. Amen? It is impossible to have the kingdom without the king. And so to have peace with God means at one point, you and I were enemies of God. Right? So, like, I'm just going to briefly, like, it is in our nature to be in opposition with him. Right? So Romans 5.12 talks about how you and I inherited sin from Adam. This means Adam's rebellious sin nature was passed down from generation to generation. What's the evidence? We don't need to teach people how to be bad. I don't need to teach you how to hate your brother. We just do these things. This is a crazy one. You ever see a kid not get something and bite somebody? Biters. That's wild. I've never seen, right? So kid does it, he bites. I've never, I've never seen my mom and dad argue in the kitchen about something and my dad bite my mom. Like that's just, right, this is just nature. You read Romans, you read Ephesians, you read Colossians. Paul is saying the world is naturally bent this way. To live as if there is no God and we can see that life is out of order. 
And it says in Colossians that the wrath of God was on the sons of disobedience. Now listen to this. To say that God is only love is to say God isn't serious about sin. I'm going to say that again. To say that God is only love is to say that God isn't serious about sin. Like I pray that if you're my friend, you would be honest with me. Right? So like if you really loved me, you would tell me if I was doing something wrong. So what kind of God would God be if he never told you what was wrong? Right? That, wouldn't be, that wouldn't make him so loving, would it? Like if I had a lust problem or anger problem and it was destroying my marriage and God said, no, you're okay, buddy. You're not angry. You're just passionate. Like how do you think we'd end up in the long run? No, seriously. I love my wife. And if someone ever did anything to harm her, like that person might get it. Right? So to say that God is only love, to say that God is not serious about sin is wrong. You cannot have love without wrath. It's because I love her. If something were to happen to her, it would generate anger towards that thing. But because of his, and so to live in sin is to invite the wrath of God upon us. But because of his great love for us, he didn't just leave us there. This is the good news. No, he made his way towards us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. What Josh Beale said the other week. That's the message of the cross. So those of you who put your faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is no longer upon you, but now we have peace with God. So now this shalom that was once in the garden and this vertical relationship between you and God is now restored. We're no longer enemies of God. Jesus actually calls us his friends, meaning he doesn't just save us, but he wants to work with us, right? So he doesn't just save us, but now puts us on the path to life. In 1 Corinthians 14, I like this. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. See, there was a lot of problems going on in the church, right? Could you imagine? Problems in the church. But the people that had been there has been re- had been really blessed with spiritual gifts. And so two of the gifts that Paul is addressing in the church of Corinth is speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, when the church met, people were speaking in tongues with no one interpreting, and more, than one person was pro- and more than one person was prophesying at a time. Like, you can only imagine walking into a service like that. Everybody talking over each other, people speaking in tongues and prophesying. Like, it looked, cr- it looked chaotic. So God, through Paul's pen, writes to the church in Corinth about how to properly use these gifts. That there are certain ways I need you to handle what's been given to you because right now things are looking a little janky, right? It's scaring off unbelievers. And God gives them a list of instructions of what to do and how to do things. And he goes on to say this in chapter 14, verse 33, because God is not a God of confusion, but peace. God is not a God of confusion, but peace. Same word, erene. 
This is saying God is not a God of confusion or instability, the way things are not supposed to be. Rather, he is a God of the way things are supposed to be, where everything is working as intended. So God not only saves us, but because he is a God of order, he is reordering our lives and restoring it to the way he created it to be. This is the shalom that is restored in our lives today. So the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is not just about what you and I feel, but it's about what you and I know, that God is restoring what used to be broken and making it whole. It's about living in the newness of life. It's about bringing stability in our lives again. It's about learning how to reconcile broken relationships. It's always been about living in harmony with God and people, like a band playing rightly together. This is what the peace of God means. And that even in the face of hardship and persecution, it's a reminder that this is the direction that we're moving towards. And so by now, going through the Beatitudes, I pray that you and I would see that it's better to be poor in spirit than it is to be prideful and arrogant. Like it's better to hunger and thirst for right relatedness with God than to just go through the motions. Like it's better to be honest with God than to pretend everything is okay. Because God's way has always been better. There has never been another way. Our best life is with our creator. Now, what do we do? And I'm going to end here. What do we do? The call to action. This This beatitude is a call to action. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now, we know Ephesians 6 talks about us being in a spiritual warfare. Last week, I mentioned about cosmic powers. We have, Paul mentions about present darkness. He mentions about uh, spiritual forces of evil. What Paul says, he says it's time to suit up. It's time to suit up and armor up, right? Helmet of salvation. He said put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And for your shoes, this is what he says the readiness of the gospel of peace. This means wherever God has placed you, the good news comes with you. God has put us in places specifically for us. Now, we might not always be talking about Jesus and people might not always want to hear it. I understand that. I totally feel you. But it can just be a simple, hey, I know a God who answers prayers. Can I pray for you? Like, you may not know this, but people are broken. Really broken. They might be laughing all the time, ha, 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 but there's some real deep pain down there. And it means a lot to some people for you to give them your time. And just to throw out a quick prayer. It can even be this. It can even just be you sharing your testimony and what God has brought you out of in your workplaces, at home, at your friends, whatever you're doing, grabbing coffee, it can just be as simple as that. And I want to encourage you with this. Psalms 139 talks about God forming your inmost being. Again, some translations say unformed substance. What this means is that God uniquely designed you to be you. There is no other you. Everything about you, your personality, your character, and God uses that in order to reach people that I may never reach. Serious. 
I want us to understand it's not a job for pastors or leaders. Paul is not just talking to pastors and elders and the leaders of the church. He's talking to the entire church. You don't need to be a pastor or leader to share the good news. There is no special position or you have more Holy Spirit. I heard a good quote and it says this. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find, where to find bread. Let me say it again. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. All you and I do is point to Jesus. Amen? Father, thank you for these men and women. I pray that tonight that we would be encouraged to answer the call, Lord. You've called us to God and be peacemakers. So wherever we see the brokenness of sin, Father, would we step in and help restore broken relationships, be kind and encouraging to people and bring peace into a world that's chaotic and messy. Father, I pray that the message would encourage us to go out and step out, Lord, and to be lights in our community, to be able to go and pray for the ones that are hurting, and to share the good news of the gospel, Lord. Help us to not shrink back during this time, but let us be bold in our faith. And Father, I thank you for tonight, Lord, and we just thank you for this Wednesday, God, as it's been growing and um, everybody's been coming out here, Lord. We thank you for your church here at Calvary Chapel. And Father, I thank you for even the children here. Father, pray you bless them as well. And God, give us divine appointments this week, Lord, to be able to share the good news with people and to encourage one another. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.